Everyone needs compassion, love that never fades. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a savior, the hope of nations. Oh, Savior, He came through the mountain. Why don't you get up on your feet, find somebody, tell them good morning. Before creation breathed his first breath, and all it was to be was not yet. You were seated there on your throne, high and glorious, God alone. You're the one I worship and adore. Every moment leaves me wanting more. Presence, I am overcome. I sing your praise at the top of my lungs. Oh, yeah, you are God. 
Good morning and welcome to M&M, Snickers, Double Mint Gum, Goodyear, NASCAR-sponsored Carpenter's Way Church. I did not know that there was a race today, and it looks like a NASCAR jersey, but it's not. It's a new way of funding our church. So whenever we refer to the church, we're going to have to go through all the sponsors, so just bear with us. I forgot to look at the back, but I don't think there's any beer guys on here. But if there is, they give the most money, so we're willing to take it. So, anyway, welcome to Carpenter's Way. We're welcome to M&M, Snickers, Double Mint Candy. Do you guys, if there's like eight of you that watch NASCAR, do you not laugh every time they talk about your car? Well, you came in 32nd place today. How'd you feel? Well, I felt like it was a pretty good day for the M&M, Snickers, Goodyear, uh, Toyota, Chevy, Dodge, uh, French Vanilla car. You know the M&M's Double Mint Goodyear? Anyway, that's, that's another story. 
And uh, I want to thank you in a, in ahead of time for all of you who will say by the end of the day, it's just a left turn. The joke is old. We get it. We know. It's not about the left turn. It's about the accidents, the crashes. And I'm the only fan. You know, you guys get on my case because during football season, I'm a fair weather fan. I am. I admit that. I, I like the Dallas Cowboys as long as they're winning. And then, and then after about two or three games, I go immediately to Houston. And, uh, but I don't eat at bad restaurants either. I, I'm waiting for change of management. I only eat at good restaurants. But having said that, uh, I'm a fan. I like NASCAR. And uh, if you don't, I'll just tell you, if you want to try it, what you do is you watch the first 25 laps, fall asleep, wake up for the last 50, and that's the race. And that's all you need right there. It's like golf. It's, it's relaxing. And every once in a while in the middle, you'll hear somebody going, oh, there's a big activity. He's on the back of the You know, and you're, you wake up, you watch, you go, oh, everybody lived going back to sleep. So that's NASCAR. If you're not a fan, you should be. <sighs> That's my NASCAR advertisement. Good to have you here this morning. If you're watching by way of Internet, it's great to have you watching in. A couple things about our Internet service, because we've got, you know, we have, we have a large group of folks that watch online every week. Uh, and uh, it's become, uh, when it started, Richard Burleson came to uh, Jeff and I and, and was promoting this, and we, we had no idea how significant that would become. Not We knew the archives would be important, but we have a group of between 20 and 40 people every week or homes that log in across the country. We've got a couple of families or a couple groups actually now in Montana that watch in and Southern California, and uh, we got we got folks all over the place, uh, watching in each week. And, and uh, if they can't get out to their own churches, it's kind of become their church to study the Word with us. Um, and we're glad that you guys are able to do that. A couple things I want you to note. A couple weeks ago, we, we ran into a, uh, a contract issue with the company we were working with. So we are in process right now of changing over. And uh, while we're trying this new company out, you'll notice that there's advertisements at the bottom. Um, just bear with those. Um, one of the reasons why... They were there in the beginning years back, but one of the reasons why um, we started use uh, we pay for the service is because some of the stuff they advertise does not fit with our message. That's, I'll tell you what, that's a problem if in the middle you start getting conception devices advertised, and that's happened. So that being the case, we are not responsible for our sponsorship this morning. Um, but uh, I believe in the next week or two, we will sign a contract which will allow us to not have advertisements, and we'll go back to archiving. If you missed uh, the end of Romans last week, um, please email the office, call the office. The information is on the website, and we will get you last week's service because we want you to be up with us on that. We won't charge you for that. We'll be glad to do that for you because we want you to stay in the study. This morning, we're starting the book of James together, and that is going to be an awesome study. And then after that this morning, we're going to have communion together. And uh, if you've never been with us when we had communion, we try to do it once a month. Um, but just so you know, it's open communion, which means if you have a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus, you are welcome to take communion with us. If you're in a journey trying to find out who God is or, or if you even believe in him, just pass the plate as it comes by. That's, uh, it's, it's not offensive. Nobody's going to point you out. We're just really glad that you're here this morning. And, uh, and our hope and our prayer is that you're encouraged. And if you're at home, uh, grab a, uh, grab a, a piece of, of bread and, uh, and some juice from the kitchen. It's not what it is. It's who it's about that matters. So this morning, our sponsors of M&M has provided and, uh, and power drink. So that's what our communion service is going to be. I know some of you just got offended. Get over it. We're just starting, and that's not true. That was purely a joke because if I had done that, it wouldn't get past the second row. People would be taking handfuls. So that's why we use bad-tasting elements because you should eat before you come. 
Would you take your worship guide now as we become more serious? This is like stand-up, and it's not even good. Um, would you take your worship guide? I do want to highlight some things for you. Ladies, there's an event this, this weekend uh, in the student room at 6 o'clock on, on Saturday evening. It's a, it's a game night, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, as we talk about a lot, it's not the preaching that makes us a church. It's, it's not the music that makes us a church. Those are, fine partic- those are fine pieces of what we do. It's the relationships. That's why God birthed the church. And it is impossible to come in this room and build relationships. That's, that's, not, the, that's not the mojo of this gathering. Um, it's, it's, it's the reason we have Bible study, to, to talk with each other, to grow in our relationship with Christ, to encourage each other. But even that limits your ability to make relationships. So periodically, our women's ministry and then our men's ministry, we have an event right now that's in the planning stages. The purpose for getting you together is to have fun together and get to know each other. And this event is just that. And, and we really want to encourage you, especially if you're new, um, to, to come out to this event and just have a really good time. Get to know other ladies in the church. Um, in a church this size, even in a small church, it's, it really unfortunately is it's, it's your responsibility to jump in and get to know folks. Otherwise, you won't. Um, it's, it's really embarrassing from the other side, and I did this this morning to a, a gentleman, to introduce yourself for the seventh time. Um, it happens. There's so many folks. You forget. And so after a while, some, we got to get gun shy. That doesn't mean you're not welcome or you're not wanted, but we need other forums to get to know you. So I know that this may be out of your, uh, maybe push you a little bit. Um, is there a poker chip in the middle of that advertisement? That event is also sponsored by Coors Beer. So <laughs> tell you what, I'm completely losing control. Did Wendy do this? Wendy, the church secretary. Well, it must be okay then because she runs things. All right. So, all right, well, who knows what will happen. It's Saturday night. You can sleep in Sunday and come to church or watch online. Or, Okay. Okay. The rest of the service you're visiting, it's going to be like this the whole time because our church is sponsored by Double Mint Gum. And <laughs> uh, two more things. Amazon meeting. If you're interested in going on a mission trip this summer, we have our uh, Brazil team. They're meeting, they have a meeting next Sunday evening at 5 o'clock, so jump in there. Uh, or you can talk to Kevin and Pam Hudson if you have more questions on that. And then uh, I want to remind you, we don't talk about this very much, but every Monday night right here at the church at 6 o'clock, there's a group of folks that come and they pray. They pray over our prayer stuff, going our, the needs of members of our flock. They pray for the church, and they pray for whatever else. On the table out there, there's a box where people can drop prayer requests, and, and they do. And so they meet every Monday night for about a half hour or 40 minutes. And if you're interested in joining that group, uh, They would love to have you join them. So uh, that's pretty much all the announcements I have for now. I'm going to ask our uh, ushers to come forward at this time as we prepare for our offering. If you're visiting with us this morning, if this is not your home church, please don't give. This is for those of us who attend here regularly uh, as a commitment to our ministry and our missions and what's going on in our church. So uh, we don't want you distracted if you're visiting this morning by money. If this is your home church, it's part of what we do. It's part of our worship for the Lord. So we participate and make it happen. But the rest of y'all, we're just, we're just glad you're here this morning. And we're going to be in the New Testament book of James, chapter 1. I'm going to get all the way through verse 1 this morning. So we're really getting into it now. So, all right, let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we love you and, and uh, thank you that we can get together and we can enjoy each other and laugh a little bit and, and know that uh, it is well with our souls because of what you did, Jesus. Thank you. And it is our prayer this morning that you would meet with us. Uh, Father God, thank you for how you provide for us um, uh, through ministry partners, people who come here and they serve each week. And uh, 
Father, financially, how you've, for the 21 years, you've sustained us as a church financially, and um, we thank you for that. Uh, thank you that we are uh, where we are, that we have the privilege to support your work globally and do it here, locally, in our families. I thank you, um, Father, for this country that we live in. And uh, as we watch a presidential election, it's sure, it's sure easy to get down and discouraged and angry and frustrated. But, Father, at the end of the day, this is a great country. It's a great place to live. And uh, sometimes, uh, like our families, we get spoiled with what we have, and all we think about is what we don't have, and we forget what a privilege it is. And I thank you for the beautiful, the beautiful uh, place that we live, these trees and the sun as it shines. And, God, we are blessed here in East Texas. Uh, we thank you for that. Thank you for a culture that respects uh, you and your word. I thank you that you can go into any restaurant in this town and you can see people bowing before they eat. And uh, as Julie and I have seen over the past few weeks, we walk into a place and we see people hover around somebody who has, has a need, maybe a homeless person. Or uh, This weekend, one of our members got hurt, uh, children got hurt with a baseball. And wow, the whole team gathered around him and prayed for him. That's a pretty remarkable thing. And it is so easy for us to sit back and say what we don't have and what we don't like but and to forget what we've been given. And we've been given an enormous amount from you. And uh, Father God, I pray, I pray that we would appreciate and be thankful to you and that would be reflected in how we live. So as we embark in the book of James, as we worship some more this morning, as we meet around your table for communion, it is my prayer that you would meet with us and that you would affect our lives by the presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off all of every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne.
Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father God, that is a, uh, that's a risky song. Because in the middle of that song, we just sang, do as you want to do. And if you look through the scriptures, Lord, there's a lot of times you want to do stuff that we don't want you to do. And it comes down to a matter of priorities, whether it's about us or you. Whether we're more passionate for ourselves and our, our own ambitions and dreams or whether we're comfortable with you taking those from us for your own glory, for your own plans and purposes. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we start through this book, we will be challenged with the truths in it, that uh, we would look at the things written by this uh, amazing guy and be challenged by him and, and uh, maybe realize some areas of our lives that we haven't surrendered. So I pray you'd protect us, Father, from legalism. I pray you'd protect us from thinking that this is what makes us right with God. But I pray also that you would protect us from becoming lazy spiritually. And Lord, we need, you to, we need you to help us get this. We need you to help us put our mind around this. I'm pretty excited to study this with my family, and uh, I'm thankful that I get to do this. And I pray that at the end of this time together, uh, we will have learned a little bit more about you and a little bit more about us, and that we'll understand that we need to surrender a whole lot more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's probably no book in the New Testament, uh, including the book of Revelation, that's more wrestled with than the book of James. <clears throat> the book of James, even by Martin Luther, was uh, scoffed at and often referred to as the book that shouldn't be in the New Testament. Uh, it was debated until about the four or five hundreds uh, after Christ ascended into heaven as to whether or not it should be and even be in our Bible. Uh, most New Testament letters, it's, it's different even in its makeup because most New Testament letters, and in fact, um, the word epistle, which is often referred to as James, is a letter. That's, that's what it means, a, a private letter. And, and there's a lot of uh, theologians that don't like to call it an epistle because whereas most New Testament letters begin with a greeting and a warm salutation at the end where it's personal and they talk about individuals, uh, the, the letter of James, um, while having a brief greeting, ends, it's missing the usual references, the personal references, the relationships, and it ends as rapidly as it starts. Uh, having said that, James does address specific things going on in the life of his readers, the Jewish believers that are spread out throughout the world at the time. Uh, the tone of the letter, which is something you don't get in the English as easily as the Greek, the tone of the letter is very preachy. You get a sense of that in English, but it is incredibly preachy in, in the Greek. In fact, within its five chapters, there are 54 imperatives or command-like statements. 54. Let me put that in a different perspective. There are 54 command-like statements in only 108 verses. That is one for every two verses. Like a well-written sermon... This letter gives you the sense, again, especially in the Greek, that it was to be handed out to believers, and the believers were to get in their groups and simply read it as instructions to the, uh, to the faithful. It could be said 
that uh, if Paul's letters lean towards theological and doctrinal truth, then this letter, although addressing theology and the necessity of faith, actually bends practical. Uh, this letter has more analogies and figures of speech than all of Paul's letters put together, and it's only five chapters. This is a very intentional, very fast-written book, very to the point. There's a point that's made, and then he finishes. If Paul spends most of his time explaining imputed righteousness, salvation through faith in Christ alone, and immediately, according to Romans 3, you're declared righteous. If he does that in all of his books, and that is his emphasis, and towards the end of each of his letters, he takes a couple chapters and talks about practical righteousness, this book is just the opposite. This spends most of its time encouraging practical righteousness, and that's why we titled it the way we did. With Jeff's help, we came up with this title. It's practical. Now let me be clear. Inward righteousness is a gift at the moment of salvation. You are declared righteous. Colossians 1 says that you stand before him right now, pure and holy. However, having said that, James is exhorting us to put on righteousness like a NASCAR jersey. Jeb, are you still here? I need you for a minute. Can you come up here, bud? He did not know I was going to do this. Can you turn this microphone on, please? It's test, test. Okay. Actually, you wouldn't know because I just used the other one. This is Jeb Stringer. Jeb is a redneck. I'm the redneck. He is. He introduced me to NAS NASCAR. Here, hold this microphone. Jeb, tell them your favorite thing about NASCAR. My favorite thing about NASCAR? That's all you need to say. Hear his voice? <laughs> Jeb was born and raised in East Texas. He is as East Texas as they come. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Here is a fact that is having to grow on some people. It's funny, those of us who are not from here, how many of you are not from East Texas? Okay, just so you know, about, that's about maybe half of us, a, qu a quarter to a half, somewhere in there. There's something funny. If you're not from Texas, how many of you are not from Texas? The, the funny, <laughs> well, we got here as fast as we could. But here's the deal. There is a joke, and it happens here. People say, you keep saying you're not a Texan. You are a Texan. The times that I say, well, being a Texan, people remind me I'm not a Texan. I can't figure you Texans out. <laughs> but the fact is, I pay taxes to the state. I live in the South, and that makes me a Southerner. No. Yes, it does. No. Just be quiet. You're done. <laughs> you know what? Your voice is loud enough. If I take the mic, they can still hear you. That makes me a Southerner. I don't talk like a Southerner. I don't, well, I guess with this a little bit, I may look like a Southerner, but I am, in fact, a Southerner. I pay taxes to the state. I live in the South. I live, I remember, and I, I didn't even recognize how South I was until after I moved here. Are you wondering how long I'm going to keep you up here? <laughs> You're waiting for the M&Ms. Um, I, I, um, let me get to my point because we've got to get to communion. But while Jeb talks the part, and you know it just by how he talks and handles himself, and, well, those aren't boots. Those are, those are Yankee shoes, dude. Those are not good shoes. Oh, they're rubbing off on you. <laughs> Jeb introduced me to NASCAR. No matter what they say, NASCAR is a Southern event. 
It just, it just is. It's part of the culture. Go back in the history. Find out where it started. It was started running moonshine. I mean, that's where it started. It is a southern thing. I'm almost done. You ready? Jeb is the real deal. And he looks like the real deal in his own way. But so too am I the real deal. But in order to have it stand out for me, I have to put on the garb. Not the same, but part of the same family. Part of the same culture. And in the church, thank you, you did good. Why are you clapping for him? He stood here. I did all the talking. Oh, that was for me. <laughs> I, 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 it's kind of a dumb example, but I want, you to, I want you to think about this for a second. If I put on boots, I'd have been, some of you would have mocked me because my boots have pointy toes, and I haven't figured out why that's offensive here yet. I haven't. They're not pink. They're pointy, okay? <laughs> but if I wore boots, if I wore a Western shirt, between the jokes and the pats on the back, it's like, that's about time. Welcome. You're becoming one of us. I am one of you. But I become more like the culture when I put things on. That is James. James, in five chapters, on top of all the other statistics I just gave you, five chapters, 104 verses, at least 11 times, refers to them as brothers and sisters. In other words, for every one chapter, he keeps reiterating that we're family. When we get towards the end of James, there's going to be one section of time where he doesn't refer to them as brothers and sisters. He disparagingly refers to them as rich people. And then he casts down condemnation on them. But the rest of this book, over and over and over, he says, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, 11 times. But it starts with, to the believing Jews scattered throughout. No matter how controversial this book has been in the past, the controversy stems from the fact that we forget who he's writing to. We are exhorted, well, let me give you more information, and then I'm going to come back. This letter is actually written to you by someone, uh, by someone, by the name of, wrong, Jacob. Jacob is his name. We're not certain why the English transliterators changed it to James. There are theories as to why, including one that states that King James wanted his name in the Bible. We don't know that. The fact is, and pay attention here, there is no other language outside of English, mainline translation of Scripture from the Greek, that actually refers to him as James. Because that's not his name. His name is Jacob. Some people attributed to the English language being a derivative of German, and that's how it works in that language. But the fact is, even the German Bibles refer to him as Jacob, not James. Uh, most theologian, theologians center on four different men referred to in the New Testament as Jacob or James. But most evangelical theologians believe that the author was Jacob, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, don't get confused. James, the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, Jacob, James, this half-brother of Jesus is an interesting guy in that he was not a believer of Jesus Christ. He was not a follower of Christ until after the resurrection. An, off, an often overlooked side note of Jesus' life ministry is that in John 7, 5, it tells us that his own family didn't even believe in him. Follow this. And it even infers that Mary, his mother, didn't grasp who he really was. 
Well, that can't be true because at his birth, she's prayed it out. But remember at 12, she rebukes him for not being submissive to his father. And he said, I am in my father's house. They didn't get it. I want to remind you that during his ministry, when they take the roof off of the house and lower the guy in to heal the guy on the mat, Jesus tells him to pick up his mat and go. And then right after that story, it says that your mother and your brothers are outside. They come to talk to you. And Jesus says, who is my mother and brothers? This is my mother and brothers. That's not who they are. And if you go back a few chapters in that story, you find out that they're coming to tell him to come home and take some time off because he's, he's losing his mind. Even Mary. The fact is that they struggled with his real identity. And it wasn't until the resurrection that this guy, the half-brother of Jesus, becomes a follower of his. It's interesting to note that in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, though, Paul records uh, that in the evidence for a risen Jesus, uh, that, uh, that he writes to James and the rest of the apostles. So he becomes a significant character. After becoming a follower of the risen Christ, he quickly becomes a leader in the church of Jerusalem. And Paul even refers to him as a pillar of the church in Galatians 2.9. If you'd like to hear him preach, all you have to do is go to Acts 15 and you'll hear a message he preached. Interesting? Acts 15. The language he uses in the Greek sounds an awful lot like what he writes in his book, James. That's why most evangelical theologians believe it's the half-brother of Jesus that writes this. Now, all of this is interesting background information, but all that you really need to know about him is what he says about himself. And this is what he says in James 1.1. This letter is from James, a slave of God and, the Lord, uh, and the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants his readers to know that he's God's slave. And I want you to think about that, that statement for a moment. If, if you're a regular student of the Bible, this is one of those verses or one of those sections that you get over quickly so you can get to the meat of the passage. But like any letter well-written, the introduction is really important for what he's about to write. Jacob, or James, and we'll call him James from here on out so there's not confusion, I don't have to explain it every week, but James actually wants his readers to understand that he is a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you may have a different version of the Bible, some of them actually call it, uh, actually change slave to uh, servant. It seems a little more gentle. And the truth is, in the Greek, neither of them are accurate. Somewhere in the middle, you have bondservant. And that is the actual translation of this. It should be bondservant. A Jewish slave is a man or woman who serves his or her owner for a period of time in the Old Testament under compulsion from which only death or time served could free him because he owed his master either debt or time for crimes, crimes committed. A bond slave was a man or woman who, while serving out their debt, falls in love with his or her master and despite giving the choice to freely walk away, decides of his own free will to permanently become the slave of his master for the life. That's a bond slave. In other words, if I owe my master six years, and you remember a Jewish slave could not be a lifetime slave. Every seven years was the year of Jubilee, which means after six years of servitude, at the end of the six years, you have to set that slave free no matter what they did. At the end of that six years, according to Numbers chapter 21, a Jewish slave could choose to stay if he had fallen in love with his master because of his mercy and all he had done for him, or he could leave and go live his own life. 
A bond slave was a person who decided to stay. And it tells us in Numbers that 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 person, or Exodus, I'm sorry, that person would actually go to the doorpost of the house of his slave master so everyone could see, and they would put put a ring in his ear. So everybody knew that that person was somebody else's property by their free will. Not because they had to, but because they wanted to. This was actually part of the Jewish written law. Now that's what makes this interesting in James 1, 1, the second half. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. These folks struggled every day with legalism. If you think you struggle with legalism, try being a Jewish Christian. How does this all fit into the old covenant that God gave us through Moses? These people had become followers of Jesus Christ, and in the back of their mind, they're always wondering, am I doing enough? How do I marry these two? How do I marry my Jewishness with my Christianity? They didn't understand how that married. They were always struggling with that. And he answers that in one foul swoop. I'm a Jew. I'm a head of the Jerusalem church. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I serve him of my free will. I serve him because I love him. Not because I have to, but because I want to. He is telling them in his simple introduction that his life is a life of service. Make that slavery by his free choice because while realizing how much God had done for him through Jesus and how much he owed Jesus for the price paid, he had fallen in love with him and now freely has decided to be God's slave for life. This would have been especially meaningful for these Jewish Christians who were struggling to figure it all out. So let me put this in context. This letter is written by a guy who has been declared righteous by God. Imputed righteous is the theological term. He is saved. He will always be saved. He is saved by God's grace. But now that he's saved, as he has gotten to know God, he has chosen of his free will to put put on practical righteousness. He is righteous on the inside. Now it's time to put on righteousness on the outside. I am a Southerner. Like it or not, sorry. So is everybody who raised their hands around you. If they have a Southern address, they're a Southerner. They may not be a good Southerner like Jeb, but they're a Southerner. You don't have to like NASCAR. That happens to be part of the culture I like. I like the meat down here. I'm a little tired of it. A little sick of deep fried foods. Some of you, that's like drinking. It's, it's wonderful. I get tired of that. I like salad sometimes. Doesn't look like it, but I do. Still a Southerner. But there are times that you wrap yourself in the identity of that which you are. That's what James is about. James is about choosing that God's way are better than our ways. That we can trust him. It's practical righteousness, knowing that we have been declared righteous. This letter is written to Jesus Uh, uh, to Jews following Jesus scattered throughout the world who have been set free from a law that they could not keep anyway. To a group of people who have been declared righteous by God and it is calling them and us to now willingly put our own desires and freedoms aside to put on the radical robe of righteousness. Every day. Not to be righteous because we are righteous but to put on the robe of righteousness. To practice righteousness. Practically. And this 
this book, this letter, won't actually teach you how to do that. It's just going to point out all the areas you're not doing. it. That's the problem with James. Every time you read another verse, every two verses, you're going, ugh. One of the passages that I know you're familiar with talks about controlling the tongue. And I know that all of you have no problem with your tongue. None of you. What is amazing is he goes off and he talks about controlling the tongue. You know, we worship with it and we curse with it. And then in the very next beginning of the next chapter, he says, not many of you should desire to be teachers because we'll be held twice into account. We can't even control our tongues. I mean, the fact is, this has nothing to do with salvation. If you're not a, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not saved through faith alone, then this book isn't for you. You can move on. Move on back to John. Move on to Romans. Move on to Galatians. Move on. Too often, okay, and I, I'm going to get a little political here for a second. We take the robes of righteousness that we're supposed to wear and we take them off when we're not even wearing them anyway and we try to put them on unsaved people. The worst problem for an adulterer who's not saved is not their adultery. Our task is not to make immoral people moral. Our task is to tell them that there's a God who redeems immoral people. But we, as the saved, live differently by choice, not by obligation. And my fear in doing this letter with you, to be totally honest, is that for 11 years I've talked to you about mercy and grace and freedom, and that is all true. And in one foul swoop, we can undo that. But this is still in the Scriptures. It's the inspired and errant Word of God, and this is our challenge. And by the way, this isn't new. If you want to see this clearly in what we're going to study, look at James chapter 2, verse 18. Now, someone may argue that some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. This is not a new thought. St. Francis of Assisi said to believers, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. In other words, live the gospel out. Uh, Beverly Kent this week shared with me a quote by Tony Evans, who said this very same thing when he says, when it comes to faith, faith trust your feet and not your feelings. You've you got to understand that, that to walk with God, surrendered, to put on the robes of righteousness, you have to believe that God's got a plan even if it kills you. That His plan is better than your life. His plan is better than your happiness. That holiness is a priority over happiness. One of the things we've talked about um, forever here is what if God's desire for your life is to make you holy more than is to make you happy? Because it seems like from pulpits all over the place, we keep talking about how God wants to make you happy. And if that's his goal, he is failing miserably. Look at how the Christians are going after each other in this political season. You got one candidate telling you, if you love God, you got to vote for me. And you got another candidate saying he's a believer and he can't quote a scripture. It's nuts on both sides, especially when they both act alike outside of the pulpit. The truth is, politics has nothing to do with Christianity. In fact, our life in this culture has nothing to do with morality. Our task as ambassadors is to tell others that God is no, not counting their sins against them. Our job is to live differently than the world with the character of grace and mercy and to trust God um, and when it comes to trust our feet over our feelings, doing the right thing over feeling the right thing. In Jesus, Jesus said it himself in Matthew 16, if any of you wants to be my follower, turn from your selfish ways, pick up your cross and follow me. 
Paul said in Ephesians 4, I beg of you to live a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, And dear brothers, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living sacrifice. Peter said, Live such good lives among unbelievers that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will glorify him on the day he returns. There is a calling for the child of God outside of just being saved. Jesus referred to this as being born again. Well, you don't take a young baby, birth it, and leave it at the hospital. You grow it up. And if you're a good parent, you actually help it grow and mature. They have lots of feelings and wants. But if you give your child everything he or she wants as they're growing up, you will raise a brat, which seems to be a problem in this culture, doesn't it? You will raise a soft-hearted brat, self-centered. Your goal as a parent is to teach people that you do the right thing even if it doesn't feel right. So why do we expect Christianity and growing up in the faith being different? I'll tell you why. Because all the church talks about anymore is about getting saved, very rarely about growing up. This is about becoming mature in God. Me going to NASCAR took me, what, five years? Took me five years, and then Jeb took me two or three times. Brought my family out from California, and I got to tell you, if you're not a NASCAR fan, it's only because you haven't been there. It is, wow. I got that right. I mean, it smells like rubber and fuel. Yes, it may be just a left turn, but it is a fast left turn. And when you're standing there, we, we went one year with my brother and Jeb and a couple others and I think I told you a while back, there was a guy who was a Tony Stewart fan. And no lie, this, what is the race, three and a half hours? About three and a half hours and really long at Dallas. We need to try another track. But every time Tony Stewart would come around, he'd see him come around the, the turn here, he would stand up and go. And then he'd watch on the screen, and when he came back around, he'd go. I don't know what he was doing, but three hours wasn't long enough to watch that guy. <laughs> three hours, six beers later, and he was shooting up at the sky. His shirt was off. I think Jeff was there, too, and we're all going, this is redneck heaven, and I can understand this. <laughs> I tell you what, that guy's shirt, I, I, I better stop. Let's, the fact is, you guys, put it on. It's not enough to be saved. I mean, it, it is if you just want to go to heaven. But there's so much more. Most of us, for most of our lives, have been in the church, especially as a Southerner. It doesn't matter if it's Methodist or Lutheran or Baptist or Assemblies of God. You grew up in the church, and things have been promised to you. Peace, joy, and hope. And if you're really gutsy, you whisper to your spouse, I've never felt that. And I'm about to tell you why. Because you never surrendered. You got saved, but you never grew up. Because peace with God and hope was never found in God doing it our way. That makes you God. Peace and hope is found when you're okay with God doing it his own way even if you're stoned to death for teaching Sunday school like Stephen. You, to do that, 
You have to be convinced that he's worthy of your trust in your life, even if it ends short and untimely. And in that kind of life, there's hope. That's what this letter is about. All, all the things that I've shared with you aren't written to the unsaved or even as a threat to believers. I want to remind you that Jesus was buried in whose tomb? Tell me. Don't, don't be shy. Whose tomb was Jesus buried in? Joseph of Arimathea. Does anybody remember the one piece of information you got about this guy? Okay, two pieces. <laughs> Maybe you know. He's rich. What else do you know? Okay, that's the second thing. Keep going. What do you know about this guy besides those two? He was a secret disciple. Now you know about his walk with God. He was what most of you are to Trump. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that guy has a big mouth. He's evil and he's self-serving. A secret disciple of Jesus Christ is not something to brag about. But they've always been there. You know, the book of John tells us that many of the religious leaders of Jesus' day actually identified that he was the Messiah, that he had been sent from God, but for fear of being cast out of the temple, refused to worship him. There comes a point when you're going to decide either to live for yourself in the name of Jesus or to say, I'll take what you bring and I'll be okay with it, even if I'm scared or depressed or sad or nervous. I'll do your thing. Because I know in my head, not in my heart, but in my head, I know that your plan is better than my plan. That's a bondservant. That's putting on the practical robe of righteousness. You already are pure and holy. You could go blow up your life today. Which is why Paul said in Romans 6, why would you offer the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness? Why would you take that which you've been saved from and go back to it? We would all be amazed if Lazarus got raised from the dead, the crowd sees it, and then he crawled back in the tomb to sleep that night. Nobody's surprised he went home to Mary and Martha's house and had dinner. Why? Because that's what live people do. But I propose to you today that most Christians you know have been raised from the dead but in the tomb. When we get cold, we wrap ourselves in the cloths of sin and unrighteousness because, frankly, it makes us feel better for a moment. How do I know this? I do that. I do that. When I feel depressed or sad or alone or scared, I get grumpy or I bite at people or I get overwhelmed or all the things that James talks about. And I want to remind you that as you start, James, what's the first thing he addresses? Well, let's look at it. Verses 2 and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. What's interesting about that is that, and this will be next week's text, but we all know that. Everybody in this room knows that when trials come our way, it grows us up. Everybody in this room, nobody's surprised by that. But Annie, can you flip back to the verse right before this? That's the hard part. Having joy, knowing that God is growing you up. You know God is growing you up, you just can't get the joy. Well, how do you get the joy? By letting God take care of it. And it isn't a problem at Carpenter's Way. It's a problem with the church in general, not just back there today. The church is freaking out because Sanders is a socialist. 
and Hillary's a liar, as if we don't have the same problem in the Republican Party. We have put our rest in a Supreme Court justice. When they continually do things that we don't agree with. You see, the point is, if Sanders wins, and we get liberal justices, and that we have conservative Congress and Senate, and they spend the rest of their lives throwing rocks at each other, and Russia invades, and China pulls our debt, and everything goes broke, we are still okay because of what God has done. And it is only when we put on the robes of righteousness, of practical righteousness, when we put that on, that we find our hope because that reflects our trust. It says, when a person puts their knife to my neck, I'm going to kill you because you're a Christian. It says, I really don't want to die today. But Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand that there's a spiritual war going on. And I want you to understand as we go through James that there is a spiritual war. And you are the prime target of that spiritual war because Satan can't touch God, but he can touch his children. And we offer ourselves too much as instruments of unrighteousness. And then when we get caught, we're surprised that our lives are falling apart. What is our prayer? God, I'm sorry I screwed up. Please don't let my marriage fall apart when you've been sleeping around. Or you get lung cancer because you've been smoking for 30 years. God, I need a lung transplant. Or you have cardiac problems because you eat too much fat food. I don't. I mean, the truth is, there are still consequences for decisions. And what we're being told to do is, now that you are a Southerner, put on NASCAR. You might as well enjoy the culture. You may hate the race, but man, they have foot-long corn dogs. And lemonade. And there's a dude who you can watch for three hours go like this. And you know what's funny about that dude? I could have sat down next to him and probably had the best time of my life because he's just a good old Southerner. Because there ain't nobody like a Texan. It's true. For those of you from North Carolina, I want to apologize. There is, there is something unique about a Texan. It, and, and we've been all over this country. You can get in the elevator with a, a person from Georgia, and they're friendly and genteel, but they don't tell you about the last time they went to the dentist and how they drilled their teeth out. <laughs> and it's not that you're boisterous. It's just that you just think everybody cares because you care. I noticed that you kind of lean to the left. Did you have a birth defect? <laughs> Do you go to my church? They... You know it's true. Even John Wayne's movies made fun of it. Whenever a Texan came into the scene, they can't stop talking. You tell everything. How are you? Oh, I got a hemorrhoid. Which is why God invented the bless your heart. Because it can mean anything you want it to mean. It can mean whatever you want it to mean. Most of the time it's like, oh my gosh, get out of the elevator. Something bad's about to happen. But the fact is, put it on. Embrace it. You embrace Texas. Nobody's more proud than Texans. I went, with, uh, I went with Justin for the first time to India. On our way back flying through, we stayed a night in London. And where did Justin... Tinaha boy, take me on the way back. First thing we had to go see was the Republic of Texas. Uh, uh, they had an embassy there. I got 52 pictures in front of it, because that's what we do in Texas. <laughs> Which took me, by the way, forever. 
because I used to think it was like that, that's hang loose in Hawaii, this is hook em horns, and then A&M is, Ooh. I don't know what it is. I don't, what does A&M do? Whoop, 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 that's it. Whoop, 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 whoop. And Lumpkin's a loser. Okay? Lumberjack's a double loser. I mean, I don't. But we're proud. We're going down, but we're proud. But it's just life. It's culture. Put it on. Put it on. You're proud of wearing that ring from A&M. It associates you with people. Put it on. That's what he's going to call us to do. Put on your righteousness. You're already righteous. Put it on. And by the way, I know you're hurting out there, Jews scattered throughout the world. The Gentiles don't like you, and you don't like them, and you're wondering where God is. And the Jews in Jerusalem are telling you you're not spiritual enough. Here's what I'm telling you. You hang in there. Don't worry about it, because what God is doing right now is he is refining you to make you what he needs you to be. So when you're being refined, guard your tongue. Isn't that when you go off? It's when I go off. I'm stressed, feeling sorry for myself. It's when I go off. It's when I go off on my poor wife or my kids. It's when I go off. I don't deserve this. Who says? Put it on. Just to be clear, everybody puts it on when it's easy. You, you go to a, I don't know, tell me a Christian band today. What's one of the cool Christian bands? Screaming, Anna. Don't be shy. Don't look at Jeff. He's not going to help you. Newsboys is a new Christian band? <laughs> so disappointed. Our youth group just saw the Newsboys. A couple, couple weeks ago at Hot Hearts, that's our D-Now thing. And I was talking with Micah Bonin, and he was saying, I asked him who the f- best band was he saw. He said, Newsboys. <laughs> I got news for you. They were one of the... I used to take youth groups to Newsboys. I mean, it was so cool. They had this concert where they took the drummer and they turned him upside down and he played upside down. You guys, any of you ever see that because you're as old as I am? That was awesome. <clears throat> Newsboys are not a new band. Everybody's died off. They've just replaced. That's right, that's right. <laughs> they can put on a concert. But the fact is, you guys, that everybody parties at a Newsboys concert. Everybody parties. Everybody parties at a birthday party. You put your problems away. Christmas morning is always a happy day for most people, unless you're depressed. You know what I mean? generally speaking. That's easy. It's always a good day with God when you're not diagnosed with cancer of the brain. It's always a good day. It's always a good day when you're on vacation and it's 75 degrees and the sun comes up and you can feel it on your face. And It's always a good day. Even the world has peace then. The difference between us and the world is not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. The problem is we've bought into that lie so we never put it on on the outside. So put it on. That's what this is about. And every Sunday, I'm going to have to remind you that this isn't about being saved. It's not about being saved. You're already saved. Just act like it. I'm a Southerner. One day, I'll probably buy square-toed boots. Maybe. And I'll probably take a class at A&M so I can get a ring. Don't email me. I know I can't get it that easy. And I'll probably hook them horns someday. No, I won't. But I will. Just in case you're wondering, I got to pray in the Senate. (laughs) Pretty good for a non-Texan. Those were all good days. But you know what's a really good day in Texas? When the sun comes up and it's snowing up north and we're sitting in our back porch just going, what a beautiful day. 
You know what's also a good day? When it's 104 degrees out, 98% humidity. Because I like this here. I like the people. I like getting in the elevator and not so much the, the you know, hemorrhoids, but I like it here. And you know what else? I like God. I like what he's done for me. And I don't live it nearly enough. I don't put on that coat. Get it? First two verses. Jacob says, a slave of God, a bond slave by choice. To you Jews scattered throughout, you believing Jews that are scattered throughout the world. Next week we'll pick up from there. We're going to have, get ready for communion now. And here's what I want us to do with communion this morning. I'm going to have our elders come forward to prepare to serve. And Chad, why don't you come on up and listen? Here, here's what I want. Here's what I want you to do. And and I, I'm going to talk as we go through the the bread to those who don't know the Lord. But I want I want brothers and sisters wherever you're at. If you're in the middle of feeding your flesh, have some courage and talk to your dad. He's still your dad. I want you to look at your life and ask yourself: Am I putting on the robes of righteousness, practical righteousness. I need to be careful. You are righteous. But am I putting on the robes of practical righteousness? If you're not, you're not going to have joy. It's just how it works. Am I surrendered? i just saying, do what you want to do. That was your song. You just sang that. I heard you. It was beautiful. But were you singing a beautiful song or did you really mean it? Do what you want to do. There's a cost to that. So take this morning's communion and think about it because the one you're talking to already already did it for you. That's the bread. He already said, "Uh, Father, I've been here 33 years and they're kind of a pain, okay? And I know you want me to die for them, but this cup, it's, it's just... Come on, Dad. There's got to be another way. But if there's not, go ahead and break my body. That was the prayer. And all he's asking from you is the same thing. <laughs> you can't do that without God's help. So now you know where to go. Application of every message over the next few months, every message is not going to be work harder. It's going to be surrender. Stop trying. Quit trying to get better. Put on the robe and ask God to help you become what he wants you to be. I will never talk like Jeb. Could you imagine if I tried? It would be embarrassing. I don't need to talk like Jeb to be a Southerner. I could put a NASCAR shirt on. And I can eat a corn dog and a lemonade, and then I can take an extra shot of insulin. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you be you wearing the cloak of righteousness. And ask God what that looks like. Father, help us to understand. Actually, just help us to know you better and to hear the voice of your Holy Spirit when we have ceased worshiping and serving and being a bondservant and taking control. So now as we take a few moments and these these plates are passed and we 
we take the bread and we think about the fact that you said, not my will, but yours be done. I pray that we would be able to ask you to help us say that same thing. In Jesus' name, amen. As the bread is passed, let me talk to those of you who don't know the Lord or don't understand all this. And and I, I mean it with the rest of you. Please talk to the Lord. Talk to your dad. Don't ignore him. Just talk to him. If you're doing great, tell him how great it is doing great. But for those of you who don't understand what we're doing, um, this is matzah. It's, it's, just a, it's, it's a Jewish traditional bread. It doesn't have any yeast in it. It's baked. It's, it's crunchy. Um, this, is, uh, this is grape juice. That's all it is. I think it's Welch's. Um, we do this because Jesus told us to. This is part of the Seder service in the Passover meal. And then he told Paul that for, uh, to have us do it often in the church because we need to do this in remembrance of him. We can't afford to forget that Jesus Christ paid the price. After everything I said this morning, if you're not a child of God, whether you're in this room or you're, you're at home watching, I, I want to be clear. You do not get saved by coming to Carpenter's Way. You do not get saved by being baptized in that baptismal or going to the Jordan River. You do not say, get saved by, uh, by walking an aisle. You get saved by accepting Jesus Christ's offer to forgive you. That's how you get saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, um, this thing I talked about putting on the robe, that all comes after salvation. You you don't take your pregnant wife's belly and start telling that child how to drive. That's ridiculous. Now, when you come to a red light, you stop. Your wife would be going, sweetheart, did you go to a NASCAR race and have one too many beers? You're acting the fool. Because it's not time for the child to learn how to drive. First, the thing needs to be born. And so you don't need to worry about all the other stuff. There is stuff. Doesn't make you an unchristian. If you don't do the stuff, you're free not to. But it will rob you of joy. The most important thing for you is that you meet the creator of the universe who sent his son to die on the cross so you didn't have to die in your sins. And scripture tells us that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we want you to be saved. You don't have to give a penny to Carpenter's Way. You don't ever have to attend here again. I just want you to know my dad. So right where you're at, just tell him you know you're a sinner and he is the only one that can save you. Because all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on him. Family, that's our reality. That if we were to die today, even if we're struggling with sin or not struggling, we still go home because of what Jesus did. So the bread is a picture, according to Paul, of Christ's broken body for us. The fact that he was willing to live 33 years among us, be ridiculed, misunderstood, 
beaten and then crucified, that's, that's what the bread's about. That's why it's broken into small pieces. That's the picture that the Lord left us. So it's perfect for today's message. I was thinking this week, it's almost like Jacob or James was saying, I went first. I'm a bondservant. And then he'll ask us later if we'll join him. So brothers and sisters, as we take this, remember, Jesus didn't just supernaturally die. He didn't just come and then float up into heaven. He lived your deepest, darkest fear. He did it all. He gets it. He knows what it's like not to want to go through what he had to go through. He knows what it's like to ask the Father to remove that from him. And he knows what it's like to have the Father look at him and say, Sorry, son. You're going to be beaten, mocked, and slaughtered. Because I need that to happen for my will to be done. Okay, Dad. We do this in remembrance of that. Father, thank you for not just asking us to do stuff, but going first. In Jesus' name, amen. This is uh, grape juice. It looks like, you can go ahead and pass it out. It looks like blood, that's why it's grape juice. The New Testament, they used wine. Um, we use grape juice. Because it wasn't just his fulfillment, his, his commitment to his Father's will that saved us, it was the blood. It was through the shedding of blood that there was forgiveness for sin. So why don't you take the time while they're passing this out to thank God for the blood. Thank him for the blood. Thank him that even if you choose not to put on the exterior practical robes of righteousness, that you stand before him pure and holy. Thank him for that.
do this together in remembrance of him. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy that doesn't stop when we reject surrender. Thank you that you don't cast children away. You said that I will in no way cast you out. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our eternal position and reward for things you did. Thank you, Father, that even if we choose to live a self-destructive life, a miserable life, as your children, if the Holy Spirit has come in, you will call us to yourself. You will not give up. And you would still submit to one of us who were a secret disciple and be buried in our tomb. Thank you that your expectation is less than perfection, but your provision is more than enough. We love you, Dad. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bible study is going to start in about five minutes. I'm going to uh, let our elders go to the doors. At the end of uh, communion, whenever we have it, we have uh, elders at the door with an offering plate, and that allows us to take a benevolence offer for offering for those in need. If you're able to help us out, that'd be great. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday.